God's wisdom is ours, and Jesus intends to impart among the wisest words on earth to us today through John chapter 8. You can see a picture on the screen. Have your folder open to page 10 so you've got the text close to your heart there, and it'll be up on the screen in a minute. But you see Jesus in the temple courts. You know, he spent a lot of time in the temple courts uh, teaching and preaching and healing people. He only had a three-year ministry, but those court those courtyards were about 36 acres, and they were the gathering place for all of Israel. And so that's why he went there to do his work so much. And in John chapter 8, it's later, later in his three years, he is really starting to draw a lot of fire from the Jewish leaders who the, they saw the courts around the temple as their domain, and they... They, Jesus was upsetting their apple cart because they didn't believe in him and they wanted to dissuade the crowds and get them away. So if you were to read the whole chapter of John chapter 8, you'd see quite a bit of give and take going on between different Jewish people, especially the Jewish leaders. And throughout the chapter, we're in verse 31 through 36 in our meditation today, but throughout the chapter as you read that story of those exchanges, Jesus keeps coming back to, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins, which they really took exception to because he was saying he was the solution from heaven. Of course, we believe that's why we're in a church today on Reformation Sunday. We believe he is the solution. So he was trying to bring these people to faith. Well, that helps you understand the first line of the text. So as we get into it, Look at that first line with me, and I'll read the whole little exchange with the Jews. To the Jews who had believed in him, some in the crowd in the temples were not unbelievers. They were listening to his word and believing in him. So in the face of all those other leaders around that are arguing with him, he looks into the crowd, like if I'm looking at the congregation here today, and he's looking into the hearts of those that truly have faith in him. And so to the Jews that believed in him, of course, everybody's in the room. He says, if you hold to my teaching, the original language could be translated, and the old translations did this, if you remain in my word, because it's logos is the word for teaching, right? If you remain in my word, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him. They're thinking about the outward. I'll talk about this. We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. Even outwardly, that's really not true. But inwardly is what Jesus is focusing on. How can you say that we will be set free? Remember the woman at the well in John 4, focusing on water? Remember Nicodemus, troubled by born again because he said, I can't go back to my mother's womb? When Jesus talked with these illustrations, a lot of people, including you and me, will focus on the outward and have to be drawn in to the spiritual. So we've never been slaves of anyone. Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Uh, check. I'm now a slave, right? Uh, do you sin? Do you sin? Say yes or no. Yes. You're a bunch of slaves. Jesus came to set us free from that every single day. And that's what he's trying to tell them, okay? So he says, he who sins is a slave of sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. They're not children of God. 
You don't feel like a children of God when you catch yourself sinning and start feeling guilty, do you? But a son belongs to it forever. He's the only begotten son of God. Theme of John's gospel. So if the son sets you free from your sin and its slavery, you will be free indeed. You see how he's being purposefully egocentric? I am the son. I set you free. You will be free indeed. Now I said in my opening introduction that this is the, the wisest of words that Jesus is giving us. And on Reformation Sunday, I want to show you what I mean. You ever meet somebody that says, I'm very spiritual. Lots of people will talk that way. Unfortunately, usually, when someone uses that lingo, they're talking about having a mystic personal relationship with God, irrespective of the Bible or Jesus or the gospel. They, it might have to do with Jesus, it might not. I'm a very spiritual person. I want you to hear Jesus' words loud and clear. When it comes to spirituality, God's word is everything. That's what he's saying. That's what this little exchange is about. If they, they put their faith in him, right? If you, believe, if you continue in my word, if you hold to my teaching... You will know the truth and you will be spiritually alive. You'll be set free from the most besetting thing in your life, which is your sins. These are broad, huge proclamations of the Christian message from the Christ himself in the temple that day. If you hold to my teaching, now just step back for a minute. You know the story. How many years was his ministry? I mentioned it earlier. Three. We're in the third year. He's only weeks away from dying on the cross. He never walked the earth again except for the 40 days in resurrection and then ascended in the flesh the way you and I do. He's leaving. They put their faith in him as the guy preaching to them in the temple. They won't have Jesus that way anymore, just like you don't have Jesus that way. You don't get to walk around with him. He's in heaven, right, looking down on us, and he's found in the sacraments and other in, in his word. But so he says to them, if you're holding to my teaching, keep holding to it. If you believe in me, keep holding to it, and it will set you free. People, this is the path forward, is what he's saying. This is the meaning of life. This is true spirituality. This is how you survive death. There's no other survival unless you hold to his teaching. That's what he's saying. And remember what I told you the word was? Logos, which is the word for word. So now you know my theme. When it comes to spirituality, the word of God is everything. This little passage here, uh, verse 31, the, the part that says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If in the King James, if you wanted to say the you, the second person, in a plural form, you would say, you would, no, that's not what I want to, that, that's not where I want to go. In the King James, the verse is, ye shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. This verse, beginning with the word ye shall know the truth, is on the library at the University of Texas above the front door and the front pillars it's etched in the stone. The letters are about that tall. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
you can look it up. It was in 1935 that that building was built. The, uh, the professor that was behind the uh, communication from the university, he was a university professor with the architect and the committee, the building committee, had several different phrases. He was the librarian. He wanted several different phrases. They didn't like most of them. So this is the one he found from the Bible that they put up there. And when you read what his reasoning was for even having this as a choice, this is what he said. There's truth in all these books, and students need to learn as young people coming to the university that, if they'll, that, that the knowledge is freedom, and you need to study more to get more freedom, and you need to be intelligent and not be a victim of ignorance. Okay, so that may be a truism. But since the verse was taken from a conversation of Jesus's, that we just have to say that's not what Jesus was talking about, was it? So forever, it's etched in a building to speak a message that isn't what the original message was. Look how easy it is to have the words of Christ rattling around society without actually knowing what in the world he was saying. This is why I get so excited about sharing this passage with you, because I get to share with you what he's saying. When he said the truth will set you free in a context where he's saying he's the savior from sin, he's saying that the truth about Jesus sets you free from three very scary and debilitating things. Guilt, intimidation from the, the sin's power, and condemnation. Now, the truth of Jesus sets us free from more, but these are the top three. And we're going to start with guilt. He's talking about it all through the chapter. He talks about it all through his gospel. He talks about it all through the Bible. He came to set us free from guilt. Guilt is the feeling that comes from knowing you messed up. Everybody has the moral law of God written in their heart. The moral law of God, it can be summarized by loving God and loving people. Everybody breaks the moral law of God all the time. In the course of the 30 seconds I've been preaching, see, you're already sinning. You're thinking, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, I'm just teasing. In the time I've been preaching, you've already broken the moral law of God in your thoughts somewhere because that's who we are, right? But on top of the moral law, your teachers and your parents taught you some other good things, and you've broken those too. In fact, you can make all the rules, and you'll break those eventually because you're that sinful. And guilt is the honest admission to oneself, I am a sinner. I do break the truth. I do wrong. I think wrong sometimes. I say wrong things sometimes. And I do wrong things sometimes. And without something to deal with that guilt, every single guilt thought has a weight to it emotionally, spiritually. It's like, it's like when I look out and see all of you sitting there, I see you all with backpacks. You ever, you know, how much weight can you carry on a hike that's going to last all day? When I was 22, I went on a five-day hiking trip with a friend. I thought I could carry, he said, he said uh, we're probably going to have about 60-pound packs. Oh, no problem. I went about 20 minutes, and I thought, what was I thinking? With you, if you're carrying around guilt of all the little things you've broken, uh, the laws you've broken, or some really big ones, they're big in your mind, they may be big in your family's mind, 
They might even be big in society's mind. And you're carrying those around with guilt. It's unmanageable. And so you know what we do as sinners if we don't have the gospel? We blame. We deny. We, do, we self-medicate. We do something with the guilt. And we suffer with that guilt. Jesus is looking at the crowd. And now he's looking at you as his crowd. And he's saying, if you'll hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth about how I set you free from guilt and it will set you free from that backpack. You can pour all that stuff out and be done with it and have a light load in life. This is that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is how it works. He removed all your sins on the cross. Not just the feelings, but the sin that causes the feeling is removed. And you, my friend, have trouble remembering that emotionally. You kind of know it, generally speaking. You know it's the gospel. But day to day, you're saying, yeah, I know he took care of my sins between me and God. But, but, but not between me and myself. I'm still upset with myself about it. Oh, really? Well, if it's not there, how can you be upset about it? I have a messy pickup truck. We traded cars this week. My wife, I needed her car. It's a better gas mileage drive down to Corpus. She took my pickup. She hates my messy pickup because it's messy. But she loves me. I was thinking about, oh, I got I to gotta, driving back from Corpus. I got to get in there and you know, vacuum the whole thing. I do detail it. I need to detail it. I got home. Mary had already detailed it. She didn't just borrow the truck and we switched. She detailed it. It's clean. Now, I don't sit inside the pickup truck and look around and go, oh, I feel so bad about that dirt that was here. Because it's been removed, right? Then why do we do that with our sins? If he cleansed us, that's his word, not ours. If he washed it away, if he removed it, why do we sit around and keep putting the same sins that were confessed last week Last month, last year, last decade, why do we keep feeling guilty? Because we're not, at that moment, continuing in his word. The lack of our freedom from our guilt is not his responsibility now. It's ours in that sense that we have we got we to gotta own that unbelief and listen to our Savior. He says, I'm giving you wisdom. I did it all. I took it away. Live in that freedom. Quick illustration, when I was a vicar, I was upset about not having helped a guy that ended up committing suicide. I'm truncating this so you can get the point. I was talking to my pastor, Vilas Galeski, and I was all upset about the guilt of not following through with this young man, and he had, he had killed himself. And he said, where are you going to get the semi? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, where are you going to get the semi truck to carry all the guilt you're going to have as a pastor for not following through? He goes, you better start believing the gospel you're talking to other people about. The truth sets us free. When you stand up to confess your sins and we say from the front you are forgiven, that's Jesus' words, the keys that he gave us. That confession and absolution is meant to free you from guilt. That's why it comes early in the service. So the rest of the service, you're supposed to be, those sins are clean. Your truck is clean, right? When you think about your baptism, you're supposed to be thinking about the righteousness of Christ that washed away your sins. When you, think, when you come to the Lord's Supper and we say, for the forgiveness of sins, it's right there, right now, 
you're taking it, the body and blood of Christ that was shed on the cross is real, and it's giving you forgiveness right then. The guilt's supposed to go away. And you go, well, why do I still, I believe all that, but why do I still have some guilt feelings? Well, because you're still a sinner creating sins. You're going to, but, but this is the cool part. The gospel continually sets you free. Now, you stop listening to the word. You stop going to church and taking the sacrament. You stop thinking about your baptism correctly. You stop confessing your sins and hearing somebody say, for Jesus' sake, you are forgiven. You'll have more guilt. Then you'll have more blame. Some of the most blaming people are those who miss church a lot because they fall back into the law because they don't take in, continue in my word. Then you'll be my disciples and you'll be set free. I'm trying to give you real practical wisdom that Jesus gives us. Second thing is sin's power. Sin is very powerful. It's very intimidating. And the devil is a beast that you cannot handle. That's why God gave us the Bible. He gave us the Bible so that you would learn to study that Bible knowing the spiritual truths that are there and know how to do battle with the devil with go-to verses when he goes after you. You know why I'm so confident in saying that that's why we got the Bible? Because that's the way Jesus used the Bible when the devil came after him in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 when he was tempted by the devil. You know what he did? He quoted passages. When he quoted those passages to himself and to the devil, he knocked the devil's legs right out from under him. Remember, I won't go into all of them, but he tries to tempt Jesus to bow down and worship him just for a second, and then he'll give him the whole world. And Jesus says that it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Bam, knocked him off at the knees. Went to a go-to passage, trusted it, and now he's sinned and not have any power over his life, right? So somebody comes into your life and they want to elicit your affections, but you're a married person. This person is not your, your spouse. And it feels so right and it feels so good. You have a passage. Whoever looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery in his heart. God says, I will judge the adulteress and fornicator. But you have those passages or you don't. If you have them, you cut it off at the knees. Might feel good to follow that person. Not going to be good. Not between me and God. It, it cuts the power of sin in your life. And sometimes the sin is so sneaky. Let me give you an example. Pastor's conference on Monday this week. We got there. I love seeing all the brothers. One of the brothers I was looking forward to see, he's about 78 years old. I haven't seen him in 10 years, and he's just a delightful Christian brother. I walked up to him, leaned over the pew where he was sitting, and said, Hi, John, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in so long. And he goes, I'm sorry, who are you? Now, my first thought was, oh, John's slipping. I said, I'm Don Patterson. He goes, oh, man, you've aged a lot. <laughs> well, my, I have. My family prematurely ages, physically speaking. But right then, I just wanted to say something sarcastic like, thank you, Captain Obvious, or something. But I thought it. That was a sin, but I didn't say it. But then I went to sit down. The pew church was starting, and I was feeling really sorry for myself. Like, uh, I get this a lot. You know, you've aged a lot. Now I just said it. This is bad. <laughs> like, I'm getting further and further inside of myself. That's sin's power, right? Not focused on the good things open up the folder for that service, and there's John the Baptist saying, I must decrease and he must increase. Guy's going to be one and done, be out when he's 30, right? John the Baptist. And, he's, and, he's, and this is what John the Baptist says in that text in John chapter 3. My joy is complete. 
And that word led me away to like, hey, if I'm, if I'm fading, my joy is complete. Because he must increase and I must decrease. So the word about Christ freed me from the, I'm feeling sorry for myself that came from the exchange. And I was set free by the end of the day. You have to keep going back to the word, right? You have to keep going back. And I can freely talk about it now, right? Even though it's a thing in my life. What I'm trying to demonstrate for you is the wisdom of Jesus' words. When he looked at the people being harassed by their feelings about this statement or that person or whatever, and he said, look, if you'll just continue in my word, I will show you how to be free. And he had the Holy Spirit prepare and preserve the entire Bible like the words about John the Baptist, for our soul's sake. Those are Jesus' words, see? Now, I've harped on those two things very much already, sin's guilt and sin's power, but I'm going to pause right here and tell you, those two are nothing compared to what I'm about to show you. Because those two have to do with our experience in this lifetime and the freedom of sin's guilt and power while we live out our life, but the one I'm about to show you, it's the game changer. It's the end of life. It's the beginning of heaven or not for a person. To the people that believed in him, he said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free from getting kicked into hell when you die. From sin's condemnation. If you'll hold to my teaching, it will set you free from going to hell. You won't. Because you held to my teaching, which is me freeing you. Remember I told you the whole chapter's about this, freeing you from your sins? Freeing you from sin's guilt before God. Not guilt before you, just, just you and your feelings of guilt, but your guilt before God. Because whether you think it or not, you are accountable to God. Sin factory you are. And you don't have a chance, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, if Jesus didn't set us free once and for all, you can be as good as you want to be, but you're never going to be good enough. You're going to go to hell if he didn't go to that cross. And then you don't live in that grace and that gospel. That's the secret to the illustration he uses. He said, they say, we've never been slaves of anyone. He goes, whoever sins is a slave of sin. Uh, check. And then he says, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And the illustration is of a son in a house with slaves. In their day, it was common. In our day, it's not, so it's hard to go there. But if a, if a son, just by his word, said to the father, this slave is set free. I'm the heir. I'm taking over, dad, because I'm, gonna grow, I'm growing into this. I am telling you, you are free, slave. Dad, he's, he's free because I'm the heir to the throne. I took care of it. He's free. The dad would say what? Good, he's free, because son, you're my son. Well, then the slave becomes like a family member and like a child in the family because the son declared him so. And Jesus is looking out at the crowd and he goes, unless you all have me dealing with him, the just father, you're in big trouble. I came to set you free. And later Paul, the apostle in Romans 8, would write, who comes and condemns you, the word condemn. Jesus died for you, and more than that, he's sitting, this is Romans 8, 34, he's sitting at the right hand of God, 
speaking in your behalf. Do you know what? If you didn't have Jesus speaking in your behalf in God's ear, you and me, we are in big trouble. But we do have him speaking in God's ear. And you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, oh, Father, she's improved so much, you just have to be patient. (laughs) He's not saying that. Not about condemnation. Patience has nothing to do with justice. He's saying, I died for her. I died for him. I completely covered it. You sent me. I did it. And you know it's good. And the father says, yes, son, it is. If you say she's free, if you say he's free, he is. If we continue in that word, then we are his disciples. We'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. This is the most irksome teaching to someone who doesn't have faith. Because it puts it completely on the shoulders of another. I remember many conversations, but one late at night at the end of a great steak dinner down in downtown Austin. It's a wonderful woman and her husband with Mary and me. And she said, you mean to tell me that you really believe that it all depends on that one person and what he did 2,000 years ago? And the answer is yes. As illogical and foolish, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's a foolish message to the world. As foolish as it seems, it's our only hope. In in, in chapter 8, a little bit later, he goes, who of you can convict me of any sin? Again, that's all part of that good news. If he had sinned once, he could not be the guy talking to the Father in our behalf. But he didn't. And he was a perfect sacrifice, and he rose from the dead to declare us innocent. And he's our hope, and it sets us free from living a life fearful of being judged. And you may not like to talk about it, but you do often fear that you're going to be judged. You don't have to live in that fear when you hold to his teaching because he's your savior. Go to that next slide, please. People will say, I I don't know what to do about my problems in life. You ever wonder if there's anything that you can do? A problem is so naughty, it's like, there's nothing I can do. Well, there's two things. The Word tells you to give it to God in prayer. And the second thing is, you can go to the Word and find passages that lead your heart through the problem. Lead your heart to a better state of mind. Lead your heart to a more peaceful way of thinking about it. To lead your heart in the Word of God. There is always that that you can do. But God's people are not all that practiced at it. When Luther, who had trouble with his thoughts his whole life, figured out that the Word was the power, it's what ignited the Reformation. When he figured out it was hidden in that book that was hidden in his church, and it was not used, and he was learning to study it, and the message would jump off the page that Jesus was the freedom from guilt and the freedom from power and sin's power and the freedom from... He just got electrified by it. And he, went, he was a teacher in the, in the college, straight to the classroom and told his students, started writing about it, did, blasted it in the streets, nailed it on his church door, preached it, wrote it, defended it, said he would die for that, Translated the whole Bible because it was no, because no one in German could could read the New German could read the Bible in Latin. So he translated into German so it wouldn't be hidden away in Latin. And he got a bunch of friends to help him, and then they started printing it. And it was all about 
continuing in the word of God so you and I would become people of the book. You know what our trouble is more than anything else in our culture? It's that we're distracted by too many shiny things other than that beautiful, wonderful word of God. And so we've got the words of a TikTok or the words of a media, whatever, but not the word of God. We're distracted by our affluence and all these other things. The more word, dear Christian, you have in your heart, the more spiritual you are, the more at rest you are, the more happy you will be. Hit that next slide. I know a few of you know who that person in the middle is. Brandy Yerkes, her, her maiden name's Hughes, grew up in the neighborhood right down here. Her mother, mother of six kids and a broken marriage, put Brandy in our school here when we had it up to eighth grades, and Brandy graduated from here in our school. She went off to college at A&M, got married, and has two little boys. I haven't seen her but once in 20 years, and now twice last Friday. She looked us up, married me, and said, because we had them live in our home for about eight months, said, would you come and have coffee with me? And all she wanted to do was to say thank you, and I want to stay in touch with you. That was about it. But this is what she said. I realized, it was a few years ago, but I realized that it that the foundation that I was carrying around in my life that most of my friends didn't have was given to me in that building over there when I was given the Word of God. She said, all the passages that are my go-to passages, they were the ones that I had to memorize for my classes. The hymn verses, the Word of God, she said, it all is in my heart. And she said, I've been able to build on that, and I'm in Bible studies, and I'm, she told me the church she's a part of and part of the Sunday school program, youth ministry. But she said, it's that word of God. And she said, you don't know, because we, she said, we passed through here, passed through the school. You don't know all the seeds that are planted and all the work that that does. And you don't see it every day. And I just want the two of you to be encouraged because the word did its work. And I thought, ooh, sermon illustration for Sunday. <laughs> what we're meditating on, right? That little slide's not about Brandy or me or Mary. It's about you. If you hold to his teaching, if you continue in his word, you'll be free from sin's guilt, from sin's power, and from condemnation at the last. Let's use this word from Christ not like a quote on the front of a library, Let's use it as a mantra for our hearts. I'm going to stay in the Word. And I'm going to let the Word be mine. And I'm going to do what Luther did. And I'm going to try to give the Word to as many people as possible before I pass by condemnation and wink at it and hightail it into heaven. Amen.